Hi, I'm Taryn Williams, and welcome to the Red Wire series by Vodafone Business. Joining us on the podcast today is Soren Trampendak, founder and chairman of Work Club Global, and we're here today to talk about the future of work. A thought leader on innovation and the new work culture, Soren Trampadak has an impressive 20-year career in leadership positions and continues to provide consultancy on workplace optimization to industry leaders such as Google, Deloitte, NAB and Facebook. He's also on the global faculty of Singularity University in Palo Alto. Soren created Work Club to provide established businesses with a unique boutique solution to the challenges posed by the rapid pace of change in a working environment. A truly international citizen, Soren has lived and worked in Denmark, England, Germany, Ireland, Spain, China, Hong Kong, Japan, and now Australia. He speaks Danish, English, German, Spanish, Swedish, and Norwegian, and even a little Mandarin. Thank you for joining us today, Soren, and hopefully today we will just be talking in English. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. (laughs) So firstly, can we get a bit of an overview from you? What does the future of work look, feel, and sound like to you? Well, first of all, it's very exciting. So I think that's the first word that sort of comes to mind. Rapid change, lots of change, lots of chaos as well. But Fun chaos, I, I think. I was going to say, but positive chaos, yeah, positive change? I think, yeah, because I do look at the future as being um, exciting and, and positive. And I kind of, you know, I've got a vision um, in, in mind when I think about the future. It's sort of anti-disciplinary future, that's what I call it. Um, if what does that actually mean? Well, it means if if you... If you take a white piece of paper mm-hmm. and you put some black dots on that white piece of paper, the black dots are all the disciplines that we know of today and all the white, which there's a lot of, is all the di- disciplines that we don't know of that's oh coming ahead of us in, in the future. So that's exciting. Exciting and overwhelming. Yes, at the same time. But, you know, you can look at everything from a positive or negative perspective. Jobs will disappear in the future. There's no doubt about that. Some of the black dots are going to disappear. But I think there's a lot more new black dots that's going to appear because of automation, because of tech. And if you look at disruption in the last sort of 10 years, you'll see that it was really tech plus one or two of these disciplines coming together Mm -hmm. to create new concepts, new ideas and disrupting industries. I think going forward, it's more likely to be tech plus three, four, five, six, seven disciplines coming together, which is why I think it's important that you surround yourself with as many of those black dots, if you like, as Mm. possible to have the best possible chance of uh, being involved in the future and not just a passenger. It's fascinating. So there's also been a lot of talk about smart cities. What does this actually mean? What, What will it mean for businesses in the next three to five years? I think the sort of term smart has been thrown around a lot and it's it means a lot of different things. But smart cities is just optimizing um, the hardware and the flow and, and the efficiencies of cities really and buildings even. You've got smart buildings where it's all about how do you operate the building smarter, you know, more efficiencies, less energy, um, more return on your money essentially. It's not so much about people, it's more about the hardware. For cities, it's obviously around traffic as well. How do you optimize traffic flows? And I think that the term smart cities is changing because the next five, 10 years, it will mean you've got self-driving cars, which is going to come mm-hmm. um, online, I was going to say, but it's going to come in. And, you know, that's going to disrupt properties. It's going to disrupt everything. Where people live, I Yeah, suppose. because you can actually live further out. Mm-hmm. And I think it's going to 
if you want to invest in property, maybe you're going to look at the fringe now and look at investing out there because people will be commuting. It doesn't matter whether you're commuting 30 minutes or one hour as much as it would have done in the past if you're in a self-driving vehicle and you can work all the way and you're comfortable. Is there any examples of cities at the moment that are doing it really well or, or that you've seen doing something interesting that people may not have heard of? I think, you know, um, so the accent is Danish, you know, of course, and there's, <laughs> I think there's been, a, there's been a lot of focus on smart cities in, in cities like Copenhagen. Um, I think they've done a good job of trying to create a diverse city where it's, it's bikes, it's cars, it's everything. And, and there's been more focus on, on the human and not just the operational side of it. So I think that's probably one of the best examples. But Australia is not that far behind. There are a lot of work going on in how to optimize cities. So Melbourne is quite progressive, I think, from an Australian perspective in terms of how they look at the city and how they try and bring life into the city as well outside the normal uh, CBD working hours. You'll definitely see that if you compare Melbourne with Sydney, it's got a different nightlife, it's got a different activity um, in the middle of a city, and that's not a coincidence, it's absolutely planned. By design. Mm. Um, So digging into that a little bit, how can we optimise our workplace ecosystems or even those human ecosystems that you just touched on beyond work so they do have that diversity and strength and efficiency and resiliency? So work and life to me is the same. So it's not a nine-to-five, you know, I'm going to go to work and that's it, I get back. You know, for some it is and for many it is, but really it's, it's disappearing. It's just life. And I think you've you got to respond to that, that an important part is not just to work in your own silo or you go into your own isolated office and that's it and you don't have exposure to other companies, people, industries, whatever you call it. I think the the key going forward to link in with the future of all those new potential black dots is how do you put yourself in the best possible position to be involved in that future? And if you continue to go down the route of just having isolated offers where you don't have exposure to many other industries or, or, or people, you limit yourself, you limit your opportunity from my perspective. So it's it's almost, you can look at it from a risk management perspective or you can look at it from an opportunity perspective that you need to surround yourself, not all the time, but maybe part of the time with other people that are outside of your industry, that are outside of your network, call it whatever you like, tribe. Do you think that's why we've seen the rise of these co-working spaces? Partly. You know, a, a lot of those co-working places are quite industry specific. Mm-hmm. Um, some focusing on diversity, but not that many. It's been very, you know, focused for creative industries or for fintech or certain specific tech. And I think that's, it's almost missing the point. And, and that I don't want that to sound arrogant, but it's, I think it's so essential that you surround yourself with as many different kind of disciplines as possible. That's my core idea, that if you don't, you're risking yourself and your business to simply not be involved because things are happening so fast everything around you is changing you know your industry is going to change for sure and the question is whether you're going to be part of it or you're going to be left behind and it doesn't matter whether you're a one-man band or you're a big multinational i would say from a small company perspective if i was a small operator i would want to be in a diverse environment for opportunities looking for opportunities if i was a big enterprise big multinational, 
I would want to be or have exposure to diverse environments as a risk management mm. to make sure I have my fingers as many pies as possible yeah. and um, not being left behind. It's really interesting and it, it ties into what I wanted to talk about next, which is this idea of building teams and finding the right people in an organisation and finding that unique, diverse skill set. What do you think about this move towards an all-inclusive global talent market? We're now looking for the best in breed, top skilled employees, wherever they're based globally. What do you think that means for how we build teams in a company? I think the whole, you know, the way we look at uh, skill sets from people when, when they come on board and we hire, it's it's changing and it will change even more. So historically, we've hired for specific skills and we'll continue to do that, of course, because there are certain functions where that is incredibly important. But going forward, I think it's more likely that we'll see skill sets needing to change every three to five years. So if you're hired for a certain position, that position will change in the next five years. It means that if you don't change, if you don't learn, if you don't move to new skill sets, you'll be redundant. So it's no longer you coming on board with a set of uh, skills. It's how do you as a company create an environment that is a learning environment not an educational. It's no longer about education. It's about learning as far as I'm concerned that you actually learn all along and you naturally will move into new roles and opportunities and and options within that company. So as a company, it's critical, I think, that you think, how are we going to provide that to our people over a five-year period? How are we going to get them to learn and be able to move into new opportunities? But it also becomes important when you hire because I think, you know, we've looked at IQ in the past. We've looked at, you know, let's move on to EQ I think even more importantly in the future is going to be the AQ, the adaptability, mm, adaptability uh, quotient, the ability to actually adapt mm-hmm. and not, you know, we're all going to freak out with change, but it's just to the extent that we're actually able to manage that change and adapt. And the quicker people, teams can adapt, the better it is for a company. Again, regardless of whether you're a small company or a big company, it's the same thing. I think that's so, so powerful and so true and something that I think as employees we're so deeply concerned about this pace of change, the the impact of technology on jobs and it's just going to be so continual and, and probably a little bit confronting for a lot of people. And I guess there's sort of a twofold question there. How can organisations best equip their employees to deal with that change and not fear it? And then how can employees proactively upskill themselves um, and build into those different types of learning that they're going to need? So I think the fear comes from not really knowing, right? And not maybe being in an isolation. Yeah. So I think the more you can remove that fear or you remove that unknown. So being out there listening, what's looking into what's next, looking into what's the future, whether it's in your own field or wherever it's, it's you'll demystify some of it, mm-hmm. not all of it, and you won't find the answers. Nobody knows about the future. But the more you can get yourself in positions where you'll get different perspectives um, about megatrends, about the future in, in any way or form, you are going to demystify some of all that news that you hear which is the scary news, you know, 40% of jobs are going to disappear and they probably are. But what we're not hearing is that they're probably going to be, the, you know, twice as many jobs with new disciplines coming as well. So it's, 
I think it's about demystifying that and as a company or as an individual to expose yourself. And I think that's my way of looking at that is to companies are going to have smaller core teams. I think that's where they're moving. Like we talked of global talents. I think naturally what's going to happen is companies, big or small, they're going to contract a little and their core teams are going to be smaller, but they're going to use more and more on-demand mm. people. Experts in their field. Experts that's going to be brought in for projects. And work is going to be more project-based than it ever was before. And those projects are going to come together. Teams are going to come together for that project. They're going to dissolve. I think that opens up a, a lot of interesting opportunities for both organisations and employees, but also a lot of questions around how do we engage these people? How do we keep them connected, um, both as employees, but also just socially connected if they're not coming to a central point of work anymore? I think it is important there is a central point. I actually think it's critical there is a, a physical location, a clubhouse, if you like. It doesn't need to be your own clubhouse, but somewhere where you meet as a team on a relatively frequent level, I would say, because it's it's all about building your culture and having that entirely remotely. I haven't seen anybody that's been able to do that over a prolonged period of time. I think you can do it for a period of time, but we are kind of animals and we're social mm. animals and having having that central point that you come to and you share experiences and you um, you feel the brand, you know, you feel the culture of who you are, I think is critical. So even though companies are scaling down or they're contracting to the core, they still need a clubhouse, I think. But that clubhouse, perhaps think about, is that you own office like it always was or is it your own office with access to shared spaces or other areas where you also will meet other people from a social perspective and it's got more meeting than just work but there's also social aspects of it. Next thing I wanted to talk about was a little bit about automation. So AI, big data, obviously people have an inherent fear that this is going to replace traditional jobs, replace their role in society. I personally believe that we're going to move forward with this human automation collaboration, that it's going to be very much a, a partnership. What do you think as a thought leader in this space? And, totally and how is it Im- impacting you know, the future of how we work and where we work? It's all about tech and humans coming together, right? That's, that's the exciting part. I think those two together is powerful. That's why it's exciting. If there's too much focus on the tech only and not humans, you're going to miss out. You, it, it's not going to be the same. If it's just humans without the tech, no, it's both. And I think both coming together is going to be powerful. I think that is the future. And, you know, when, when I think about cities or buildings or precincts, again, if you go back 10, 15 years, it's all been about the smarts of the hardware so, so tech optimizing, you know, uh, just lowering cost for operating buildings and precincts and the hardware around it, the buildings. But there's been so little focus on the human aspect of how do, you, how do we provide environments and the platforms for people in those buildings and precincts to connect and mm-hmm. to have meaningful conversations and find more purpose and become more efficient but not through a hardware optimization, but by creating real environments where you bring all of yourself and where you want to go and you can 
be your best at work or you could be your best at whatever it is you, you know life throws at you and I think that's the exciting part that if you get the hardware together with the human aspect those two together it's super exciting that's where the magic happens yeah and I think we you know I'm I mean we're involved in in a couple of uh, projects where I think for the first time there's a real understanding from a landlord sort of a major Australian landlord, uh, 70,000 square meter project, commercial project, but there's a real willingness and understanding to how do we bring all this beautiful hardware and new tech together with the human side. And and we're overlooking the entire human aspect of that. And I think that's the first time we are going to experiment at that scale with around 7,000 people of how do we create meaningful connections and conversations between all of those, regardless of levels, regardless of where they work, regardless of what they do. And that's not 100% of the time, that's tapping in 10 to 15% of the time and experimenting with that on how do you create an environment that is conducive for work and will drive more efficiencies from a work perspective, but also create a sort of a safe environment that... um, that people want to go to and they're attracted to because of that whole feeling safe of being there and being able to be yourself and have real conversations with other people. It's amazing. I'm excited to see that space when it's finished. Mm. You just touched on a really interesting point there about bringing your whole self to work. And I think there's been a lot of discussion in the media about this lately as well. How can organisations really better encourage their employees to integrate their personal values, their personal goals, alongside the company's um, goals and and values as well. And do you have any examples of companies that are doing that well? Well, I don't know if we're doing it well, but we're doing it. So WorkCop <laughs> is is doing that, and um, it's one of our f- fundamental values and and one that is important, I think, for the future and should be for anyone. We tell people bring all of yourself. We don't want anything to be left at the door when they arrive or when they leave, they bring in another persona. They bring exactly themselves and all of their quirkiness and everything they stand for because we want that. We want that as part of work club and we want them to contribute and we want them to feel safe. If they feel safe, and this is any company, if employees feel safe, team members feel safe, they will contribute and they will come up with ideas. I'll guarantee you there's millions of ideas every day that's not voiced and that is not communicated because people don't feel safe. But if you allow them to be themselves and create a safe environment, those ideas will be voiced and will be heard. Do you have any practical tips for those organisations that are looking to implement that change? And how do you go about it? What are the micro steps in the right direction? Diversity. Surround yourself with as many different kind of disciplines and black dots as possible because that will give you, I think the most chance of success and will be putting you in a position of power and knowledge. Learn, continue to learn. Uh, don't think about education. Think about continue to learning. Expect your role to change every three to five years. Um, given that, you need to be in a position where you are learning new skills in order for you to be able to add value on the new, those new roles. Experiment. Experiment a lot. Don't risk your company, but uh, make sure you experiment and try new things uh, and you learn from whatever doesn't work and what works too. 
allow your teams or team to bring all of themselves. I think that's a fundamental part. You know, that will get you further. Uh, make sure your culture is clearly de- defined, what you represent, what you don't represent, the behaviors that you encourage and that you do not encourage. And the future is exciting. I look at it as being very exciting. It is daunting in some ways, but uh, like I said, I think there's a lot more black dots that's going to arrive and and um, we have the opportunity to create than actually black dots going away. And think about the future, two to three hours a week, plan the future ahead, be more proactive, spend those two, three hours per week on jotting down ideas about the future. The next thing I wanted to talk about was this flexibility of work. I know there's been a huge push towards flexible working arrangements. You know, part of that's driven by the gig economy as well. And that it's something that employees now demand and all organisations are trying to implement policies around that. Have you seen anywhere globally where this has worked, where there's been um, things like extended leave or sabbaticals from job roles? And where do you think that's going to end in Australia? And how can businesses look at building really supportive practices um, that do still keep these employees connected to the company? So uh, the future is more and more flexible from a from an employee perspective, I think. It's on demand, like I said, uh, projects, project-based it's not going to be unusual for anyone to have four or five projects with four or five different companies at the same time. Wow. So I think the notion of you having to hire a person that's going to work for you full time will change. You will still have that and you'll have it in your core team, but there'll be more and more on demand. And I think it's a great thing if people want flexibility and if they want to go off and they want to do different things, because if they come back to you, it's because they want to. And... That's more powerful, and it's also important with the younger generation. I think you, you've got to provide that purpose. You can't put them in a box and chain them in and say, that's what you've got to do. Yeah. It's not going to last for very long. They won't stay. So you've got to provide a purpose and a freedom that they can go anywhere. They have no fear. And you, you talk to them and say, well, I don't have to be here. So you, true. You know, I can just go anywhere. So there's not the same fear or you know that we as I am the older generation (laughs) you know had so I think it's it's interesting that working with that younger generation is just you know you got to motivate them in a different way they're there because they want to be there and I think we've also read a lot about different startups and tech companies particularly that have a whole range of different things in place, like unlimited leave or, you know, playrooms, blue sky thinking days, you know, free lunches. What do you make of all of that? Is it something that's inherently good for employees and companies or is it all a little bit gimmicky? What What, what is your takeaway? A little bit of combination of everything that <laughs> I think you said. Um, so there's, there's a little bit of gimmicky in, you know, I used to uh, design some of those offices of so those big uh, design firms or um, tech firms and it was it was actually not that progressive some of them to be you know to be honest I, I thought it was quite mundane or quite boring almost That's fascinating but it was just uh, you know you wanted to be in a magazine you wanted to show the gondola you wanted to show some crazy slides or something but really when it came down to it it was actually a very traditional workspace wow. so paying lip service to a trend a little bit that's changed though mm-hmm. i think you know this this is some time ago but I, I think it's changed and it's more 
let's say it's less gimmicky, okay. I think. But it is an important part of also retaining and attracting staff mm. that you can basically give them that freedom. And for tech companies in particular, it's all around how do you innovate? How do you stay ahead of the curve? How do you create new products or new additions to your products? And therefore, it is critical that you spend a portion of your time on thinking about the future and not just about today. And I think they're, they've recognized that really well. And that is reflective in the way they want their staff to work or they're encouraging their staff to work is to some thinking about today, probably 80% and 20% is about tomorrow and really give them the freedom to explore that with no boundaries. Do you have any practical tips for people in how they could implement a policy like that in their companies? So I think from a, from a sort of one person operator up to anyone really, I would say spend two to three hours a week on the future. Invest in that. You know, whether it's on a white piece of paper, sitting in a cafe or on the ferry or whatever you do, take two, three hours out a week and you think ahead. What could that look like? How far ahead are we talking? As far as you like. Wow. It doesn't, it doesn't okay. matter. It can be next year, it can be five years, it can be 10 years. I try and do that. And I think it's just, it, it, you just become more conscious. And I think you become more, well, you, you're, you're looking at risks, you're looking at opportunities, and, and you, you don't get caught up in the day-to-day, mm. which we all do. And we all become reactive because we're busy. Everybody's busy. You know, there's not enough time. So I think you've got to be proactive and... Again, it gives yourself the best possible chance of actually just looking a little bit ahead and see what's there. Being one of those black dots that survives. Yes. So just before we wrap up, I would love to get your top tips for companies when they think about this future of work. What should they be thinking about and what practical tips and takeaways do you have for businesses that are listening today on what the future of work could mean for them and their organisations? So my sort of core idea, I've got it, that's probably the most important for me, is the diversity mm-hmm. and surrounding yourself with diversity in industries and disciplines. That's, that's kind of my core ethos behind Work Club. And surrounding yourself with all these different industries and disciplines, I think it's, it's my insurance and it's my opportunity towards the future of creating new black dots or being part of that. And I think that position of positioning yourself in an environment with a lot of black dots is a powerful position because it's knowledge. Mm-hmm. You have access to knowledge. And I'm very conscious around that. And I think if you, if you do that, surround yourself with as much knowledge as possible, you're in a powerful position. So that's from a pure sort of theory perspective, mm-hmm. but practical. You know, I think it's, it's, it's critical. We talked about learning earlier, education. Um, and roles changing in in average sort of three to five years, and and I really tr- believe that that's the reality of the future we're going into. So, I would say don't think of education as something that's just a piece of paper and you finish that and that's the end of it. It's about learning, and it's about how do you continue to learn as you go through life, which is not just work related, but it's also on the personal level. And I, I think Absolutely. those two combined, of course. But on the work part, how do you continue to learn, and how do you either work with someone that's open to that and if they're not, you know, have that conversation or if it's your own business, figure out how how do you provide those learning opportunities, whether it's exposing other team members to certain projects that's outside their comfort zone and 
you know, just be be conscious about that and be proactive about that, not reactive. And experiment, because it's we don't know what the future brings. We don't know those new black dots. But what I say to my team, if you don't experiment, that's the biggest sin. You know, mm-hmm. you got to do stuff. You know, try stuff. If you don't do that, it's um, you know, it's the worst you can do. I, th- I think just try stuff. If, if it doesn't work, you learn from it. You adjust. You do something else. But do things, experiment. And then at some point, you'll hone in, you'll have skills, you would have learned what, what doesn't work, what works. And then you're more likely to get it right than just doing it the same way that you always have done. Healthy appetite for risk. Yes. Yeah. And then I think it's essential, you, you have to, with the new generation coming in, you have to you know, have that purpose for staff, for team members. Mm-hmm. Because, like I said, they're not going to stay with you if, if you don't. And if you don't have that over a longer time, you, you know, to retain those and to motivate them, there's going to be a purpose. And I think a great way to start that purpose and provide just a, a safe environment is to say to people, you, you bring all of yourself and mean it. You know, don't just say it, but allow that. them to bring all of themselves and show them that they're safe. Because once you do that and, you, and they know that they're safe, they will also be, also be more they'll contribute with more ideas. Mm-hmm. They won't be afraid of, of talking out. They'll come, you know, they'll voice their ideas and that's what you want. You don't want ideas not to be voiced. Mm-hmm. You want that's them to so be heard. so much more value. Yeah. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for all of these incredible insights today. It's been such a pleasure having you. Thanks, Taryn. Make sure you check back soon as we'll have more exciting business podcasts for you as part of the Redwire series by Vodafone Business back soon as we'll have more exciting business podcasts for you as part of the Redwire series by Vodafone Business.